going to be speaking on the subject tonight on, on raising up of leaders. So uh, let me tell you what a remarkable thing that happened to me this last week. I was phoned and asked to go and visit one of our employees at his home. Now he lives down in the township just behind the studio here. And so this is the backstory to, to this man. He, he's a bricklayer. In fact, he built the studio that I'm standing in today. A distinguished man, but he, he wasn't a believer. And so year after year, he would watch us, but, but really this is not for him. And I think in his view, church was for, and faith was for women and children, not distinguished men like him. But then one day his wife got sick and the word got to some of our uh, elders' wives and they went to visit her in hospital. And miraculously she recovered, she was healed. And so uh, he went home and within a couple of days he was at my door and he said, listen, it's time for me to go to church. I I think I need to go to church. So he came here and there's an English service that happens here. And and very soon after that he, he came to me and said, listen, I need to go to a service that speaks in my mother tongue in Zulu. Can you point me somewhere? So we did. He got saved about 18 months ago. And then after that, about six months later, he was baptized. I remember seeing him come out of the water. I was overseas at the time, and the photo was sent to me. He was punching the air, this 58-year-old, really distinguished man, punching the air. He was so excited for being baptized. Well, that following week, he led his brother to the Lord, who's also on staff, and, and then lockdown hit. Fast forward to about 10 days ago, I'm called to his home, so went to his home, and I I came around the area of the suburb, and, and, there, and there, to my astonishment, was a church that had been built. Bricks, no roof, but a substantial church, and next to it, a children's ministry facility, finished. And so I said to him, Nicholas, now what is this? I didn't know you lived in a church. He, he said, no, no, I built this church. I said, when did you build a church? He said, well, when lockdown hit, and I discovered that God was going to carry on paying my salary, I said to my wife, It's not right for me to get money from God and use it on myself. So I'm going to build a church. And so without telling any of us, he he built this structure. And then when we moved to lockdown two, he said to his wife, well, we have the church. Maybe we should invite some people. And so what I arrived to was 50 children. I don't even know if he knows the rule. He's not allowed to have more than 50. But there was 50 children crammed into his one spot. And then 20 adults, 15 of them middle-aged men. And he had laid out some tea for me to, to have afterwards. And I said to him, hey, Nicholas, what? I mean, this is no memory. He's been saved 18 months. And, and suddenly, there's 70 people coming to his homestead. And I asked, so, so who's preaching? So his wife says, well, he gets up and he reads the Zulu Bible. And then God comes. So I said, Nicholas, well, we've got to train you, you know, in leadership. He says, no, 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 I don't want to be a leader. I said, well, here's a news flash, my bud. You're a leader already. And, and so uh, this weekend, we go down there to, to, to help try and bring some shape to this incredible miracle that's just happened. Now, you might ask yourself, well, how the heck does that happen? I actually don't know. I don't know how it happened. I just know it's happened. And 
He hasn't been on a leadership training course like this. He hasn't, he's been in prayer meetings, he's been in church meetings, and he's been in connect group meetings, which is small group meetings. And somehow it was logical for him that his friends and family should get saved and should come with them on his faith journey. And so, so what would my definition of leadership be? Well, I've, heard, I've read many. I have a friend down in the Western Cape who, who simplifies it to this degree. Leadership is simply taking people where they wouldn't go by themselves. If they're going by themselves, well, then you're not leading them, are they? They're just going for a walk with you. But if they wouldn't ordinarily go there, and God uses you to suggest to them and to lead them and to guide them and to take them on that journey, that's leadership. And so how do you develop uh, in your ministry uh, a, a way of bringing people through? of bringing people into leadership. Well, well, I'm going to suggest that there are a couple of convictions you've got to hold, and, and there's some disciplines that we, we ought to live in. But I can tell you now that Nicholas and Tembu did not go through a pipeline of leadership development. Nicholas and Tembu was somehow in an environment that, that just made that a natural thing to happen. And so these are the convictions that, that I think are essential. Firstly, is that it's God's idea that people lead. God's delegated leadership into families, into countries, into churches. And from the very beginning, he had Abraham, the father leader. Moses, the deliverer leader. Joshua, the military leader. And then all the judges then were judicial leaders. It's God's idea, leadership. And so you're cooperating with God when you're facilitating that and you're encouraging that. Second conviction we need to have is that God expects every single Christian to be a leader. Every single Christian. Let me prove that to you. You say, Grana, I don't have the gift of leadership. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-leadership, self-discipline, self-control. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he enables you to lead yourself. Every Christian ought to be a leader. In addition to that, if God gives you a family, you ought to lead your family. Every Christian ought to be a leader. And once you're leading your family and you're leading yourself, what we've heard from Peter and from uh, Tim tonight is that we're to lead others to Christ. Every Christian ought to be a leader. And when the family's in order and the personal world's in order, God will entrust you to lead his sheep, his people. God's intent is that, and this needs to be a conviction in our hearts. So when you go and talk to somebody, you know that ultimately God wants them to lead. Lead themselves, lead unbelievers, lead their family, and maybe even lead in the church. The third conviction is that it's every leader's job to bring through other leaders. It's the definition of discipleship. Go and be a disciple, Jesus said. Peter quoted that text today. When you disciple, what, what is that by very definition? Someone who makes other disciples. Who are they? They are people who make disciples. And, and so what happens, as Peter very graphically explained with the rabbit story, is that when you raise leaders... And what he was doing today was raising an army of leaders, wasn't he? He was basically saying, permission 
to go and lead people to Christ. Permission to take initiative. Permission to go on these gospel adventures. As you raise leaders, we're talking multiplication, not addition. If you don't raise leaders, all you're doing is growing by the extent that your gift adds to itself. Fourthly, when it comes to the appointment of leaders in the church, we never risk on character, but boy, we should risk on gifting all the time. So Tim said, be cautious about taking somebody who's undercooked and give them an office of leadership in the church. What he was referring to is character that's not tested, that can't hold that responsibility. And so we have this conviction. We will risk with those who are not um, gifted, who are uh, timid maybe, who are uh, even self-doubting. We, we will mit, risk with those that don't have, don't have experience, but we will not risk when there's a question mark over character, when there's a question mark over what's going on in the heart. And we say to those guys, God wants you to lead yourself first, lead your family first, get it right on the home front first, and then we can release you into the church. And so with those convictions in mind, how practically does it work? I would like to talk about a, a a pipeline, if you like, as a uh, leader in a church, uh, how do we get people from, when, once they hear the gospel, uh, to, to, to ready to be entrusted, the guys that Tim was referring to, that you can say, okay, I, c I can entrust that guy with leadership and a sphere of influence in the church. So I'll list them to you first, and then we'll go through them very quickly. And here's a heads up for when I'm finished in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. Uh, Pete and Tim are going to come back up onto stage. And we're going to have a Q&A. Uh, we've already got some, some questions from you guys. If you've, if you've dying to ask Pete something or Tim something or myself, uh, jot it down, send it through in the comments, and they will be given to us uh, to have in that Q&A. So, he, so here we go. What does it look like? Well, firstly... Uh, you've got to create an environment of servant, servanthood, of serving. Once you've done that, you've got to be able to identify, call out leaders. What Pete was doing today was, was calling you out. He was saying, of course you can. You've got to, you've got to call people out to lead. Uh, then you need to train them. And, and once you've trained them, you need to release them, set them up for success. And then you need to encourage them till Jesus returns. Create an environment of serving, call them out, train them, release them, and encourage them till Jesus returns. Let me look at those very quickly. Uh, to create an environment of serving, a culture of serving, why would you do that? Because the leaders in the kingdom are totally different to worldly ones. Uh, the, the word minister or deacon, has at its very root servanthood. Uh, Jesus, you know, came to serve. The Son of Man laid his life down and came to serve. And that's the way he demonstrated we lead. And so if you don't, if you bypass that and you just bring in someone who's a good leader in business, who is, is competent in some other sphere, 
and he hasn't got a servant's heart, you're going to have secular leadership superimposed into your church family. And so we have an, uh, an additional problem here in South Africa in that our, our working environment has become contractual. And so when you have a, an environment where, where people pay others to serve and those who are serving expect to be paid, it's quite diffi- difficult to, to establish a culture of serving out of the overflow of your heart because God says so. And so that's what distinguishes us from the world. Because in a worldly context, if I, if I want a job to be done, you know, I, I want to pay people to serve it. And if, if, I'm, if I'm asked to serve, well, what are you going to pay me to do it? And so in the kingdom, it's not contractual, it's covenantal. And, and so what God... Um, uh, wants us to do as, as we uh, cooperate with him in releasing leaders is, is get people to, to serve. And, and I don't believe, you might need qualifications to lead in the church. You don't need qualifications to serve. I, I can remember often coming to a church service and seeing a brand new visitor standing on the door, welcoming people into church. Why? Because you don't need to go on new members class 101 and Leadership 101, to welcome people and to be friendly. But if we can create an environment where people are serving, it's from that pool of 700 people that we start to call out leadership. And just one last thing on this, this thing of creating service. We need to be able to uh, ask God to create opportunities for people to serve. Uh, we, we've, we've looked at our sites and churches we plant, and we've come up with like 53 functions on a Sunday alone to serve. And you say, why 53? Well, we couldn't think of any more. It was just, we want to maximize it out. Why? Because these are just opportunities to love God. And if guys get their, roll their sleeves up and get involved, they, you, you know there's something in his heart that, that, that's going to set him up for leading in the kingdom. And, and people are wired differently. I love this account in John chapter uh, 12, verse 1. Let me read it quickly for you. This was a home that Jesus loved to go to. And it had three personalities in it. And I'm pretty certain the reason he loved to go to that house was because these three different personalities were there. Uh, so it was in Bethany. Uh, one was Lazarus. It's, it says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Remember that miracle? So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. What was Lazarus gifted at? Well, he was particularly gifted at being a friend. Particularly gifted at reclining. Uh, Jesus knew when he arrived there, Lazarus would be there to give him a kiss of greeting. He knew that there would be friendship. He knew there would be fellowship. Why? Because Lazarus was occupying that space of friend in the family. And Martha served. Well, he knew he wasn't going to get food poisoning because there was a system of washing the dishes. He, Martha was in action. And, and, and also, who was at that house? Mary was there. And verse 3 says, she took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrant perfume. There was a worshiper there. There was a friend there. 
There was a servant there. And they were being allowed to express their gifting in that community, serving the church in that community. And, and th- this is what we found, is that if you find what people are created for and they're wired for and you create space for them to serve there, they serve longer and they serve happier and they glorify Jesus more. And so we try to do our best to find that sweet spot of serving for people. So once they're serving, it's that pool of people whose heart is in the kingdom, whose heart is laying their lives down, whose heart is, 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 is leaning towards sacrificial giving. That's the pool that kingdom leaders are identified from. The guys who come late to, who, who, who convey the opinion that you'd be lucky to have me, boy. You, you don't, you like, you stay away like as far as Tim would stay away from those guys. So how do you call them out? Well, firstly, you don't beg. Nobody should be saying this sort of thing. You know, we desperately need help. Our children's ministry is like falling apart. Like, you know, in fact, you've been at this church long enough. You know, surely it's time you start serving. If, if you approach it that way, Firstly, you're not going to get much success. And secondly, you're not reflecting the heart of God. They have, they have an opportunity to serve. And so the, the way we put it to people is that man, God's got a call on your life and you've been serving. We see something in you. And so the way to call people out is to speak life over them and to tell them so. The best recruiters of other leaders are other leaders. And so as your team begins to grow, speak to them about who God's hand is on. And so remember, we're not talking about putting them into a position of leadership right now. We're just talking to them and saying, I see it in you. I had a bunch of young guys together on Saturday morning, uh, about 49 of them. And I was amazed how many phone calls I got afterwards of people saying, count me in. And all I'd done is I invited them to something that, that that they knew they were being looked at to be developed to lead. If you look at somebody and you say to them, I see something in you, it awakens something inside of you. Jesus did that, didn't he? He went up in Mark chapter three, he went up the mountain, he came down, spent the whole night praying, came down, and he called the disciples that they might be with him. When he sent out the 72, he didn't send out 56, he sent out 72, and it says he appointed them in Luke chapter 10. It doesn't happen by accident. You've got to look at a guy and look at a girl and say, I see it in you. Come on a journey with me. And so you've created an environment of serving. You're calling out. You say, we want to, who do I, how do I know who to call out? Well, I've, I've already said you, you, you don't want to risk on, on character. You, want to, you can risk on gifting. But there's a process of observing. And, and there's, a, there's also just an, a revelation in your heart that God's hand is on that guy. Tim said, don't. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. So you can observe people are following him. He's disciplined. He's got a good heart. He's got a kingdom heart. You can, you can observe those things, but sometimes God just says, that's the guy. There's a particular young man on our eldership team right now who had left our church because he'd taken a job far away. He'd gone into a bit of a backslidden state 
At that time, he was dating a little bit of a dodgy girl. And in my quiet time one morning, I felt God say, that man has a call of God in his life. Call him. The phone call came through when he was on his knees saying, God, give me another chance. You can't plan that. You can't observe that. And so who do you call? Well, if Jesus had to spend all night asking God who it is, we probably need a month or two. And so once we've created an environment of training, an environment of serving, we've called them out, we need to train them. Remember when Jesus sent out the 72, this is what he said. He, he called them into the places, it says in Luke chapter 10, into the villages that he was about to go himself. So what was he doing? He was modeling. He had done this before. He had done it with the 12. And he said, I'm going to that village, going to that village, going to that village. Watch me do it as I go. Part of developing leaders is having them close enough to see you in action. Take them with you. No home group leader should ever go and visit someone in hospital, when we're allowed back into hospital, of course, without someone in tow. Or running a prayer meeting all by yourself. There should be someone in tow. Or running their home group meeting without calling someone beforehand saying, come pray with me before the people arrive. As you model, people learn. Not only is there modeling in training, there's, there's also actual teaching like what's going on right now. Jesus said to them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandal, greet no one on the road. And then he said to them, now be careful. This is what you say when you say hello. When they reject you, this, what was he doing? He was training them. What was he doing? He was training them what to say. He was telling them what to expect. He said, receive these miracles. Trust that, that God's gonna use you and break into the, your situations. And so training, I would suggest, in your local church, your little church plant or in the church that you're part of, has a, has a formal uh, classroom training, discipleship element, and also just the day-to-day -day modeling of it. So you've created an environment of serving. You've called them out. You've said, hey, you. you know, very few people will say, pick me, pick me. You know that. That's like 1% of the population. The rest need you to call them out. And you train them, and then this is very important, to release them, set them up for success. The example we give here is, you know the little training bicycles that you put your kids on when you try to teach them how to ride a bike. They've got the training wheels, right? Why? Because you've got to be a sadistic dad to put your little four-year-old on a bike without training wheels, take him up a long hill and just say, go, boy. Because he's going to fall, he's going to break something. It's going to be a long time till he gets back into his bike. But what you do, you put the training wheels and he enjoys the speed down the hill. He thinks he's a superman. And then you lift the one wheel and the bike starts going down the hill like that. And, 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 then, and then you take them off, but you don't leave them. You're running behind the, the bike, aren't you? What are you doing? You're setting him up for success. This weekend, we've got a couple of youngsters preaching online. 12 minutes. They've been helped in their preparation. And they've preached many, many times before in a youth context. What have we done? We've got, we've, they've, they've ridden the training wheels. 
It's much better to train them before you set them out than dust them off afterwards and say, now you're ready to learn. Why? Because a lot of ministry is confidence in God and, and the environment that you're ministering in. I can, I can remember when my son was about uh, seven years old and he interrupted a conversation I was having with one of his sisters and, and he said he wanted to share the particular church that we were visiting that weekend. He's seven. So I, he, when, he, when he told me that, we were in the lounge and he was watching the Cartoon Network. So I said to my boy, you, you want to get up and preach? Yeah. I said, what do you want to talk about? He says, well, I want to talk about my youth group. So he was going to a junior youth. I said, yeah, what do you want to say? I want to say how I won the eating competition and how I bought Sabelo. So I said, how you, how you bought Sabelo? So suddenly I'm thinking, maybe he could make a 30-second contribution on inviting people to, to hear the gospel. So I said, okay, my boy, why don't you turn the TV off and go and practice? No, nah, no, nah, I got it, he says. Carries on watching, Mickey Mouse. <coughs> I'm thinking, I could let him do this, but he's gonna be standing in front of 200 adults and, and he's gonna be like, come across you off his bicycle and never do this again. So I said, this is my boy. I turned the TV off. I said, are you serious? He says, I'm dead serious. You always let my sisters talk, but you never let me talk. So I said, okay, you go into the bedroom and go put your ideas together. I'll come and listen to you now. And so I shaped it a bit. I said, are you going to use a microphone? He said, of course. So I, so I said, well, how do you use a microphone? He says, oh, dad, I know. This is seven, eh? So I threw him a deodorant can and I said, okay, show me. And of course, his hands were going like this. So I said, now you see, put it on your chin. Talk in front of the mirror. And you say, God, this, this is ridiculous. This seven-year-old, no. So there he sits. Did it three or four times. Made him do it even more. Why? Because I don't want him to fall off on the tarmac. We're standing in front of the church. Couldn't believe how his mother dressed him. He's in his baggies. Hair like this. He's looking barefoot. There's 200 people behind us. And I'm thinking, I said to my wife, he's not going to go for it. And of course, I wouldn't have forced him. But I said, you ready? He says, I'm ready. So here he is, looks like Huckleberry Finn, wonders up, shirt hanging out. He takes my wife's iPad, which had nothing on it, puts it up like this, and he goes, puts the microphone on his chin, and, he, and everyone fell in love with him. I can't remember what he said. He held the microphone for maybe a minute, but there was a standing ovation, much more than his father's ever got in his entire life. And he sits down afterwards and you can just, so what happened? He had the training wheels on, that's what happened. And he didn't hit the tarmac. Guess what? When he turned 10, three years later, he was ready to give it a real go. We, we don't want to just let people loose uh, prematurely. You want to set them up. And then the, the final uh, thing is to encourage them until Jesus returns. And uh, you'll know in that house that Jesus went to with Mary and Martha, discouragement comes so easily in ministry. There's Mary wetting Jesus' feet with perfume and there's a, and the closest woman on earth to her comes with a complaint. Put her in the kitchen. And what does Jesus do? He says, no, 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 listen, Martha. Mary 
She's got a beautiful gift. She's done what is right. Uh, Jesus, remember when the 72 came back? They came back with all sorts of uh, wrong motives. Man, we've been kicking out the demons. We've been kicking them. And Jesus, it says, Jesus, full of joy. If Jesus is full of joy, I'm sure he's like smiling at least. He says, listen, chaps, isn't that fantastic? But you shouldn't be rejoicing because of that. But your names have been written in God's book of life. What's he doing? He's encouraging them. See, if, if, we, if we skip out any of these as part of our culture, there's like a blockage in the leadership pipeline. If you, if you stop encouraging, you know what happens? You might bring through a whole lot of new leaders, but these chaps retire regularly. As fast as you bring people through, these guys are saying, I've done my innings. If you don't call them out, they don't, they don't self-volunteer most. And so it'll be a very slow entry into your training. If you don't train them and you don't release them, they're going to give up through sheer fear. And so this is not a, a one-step, two-step, three-step, four-step, five-step magic. These are, these are principles that, that, that if, if we live with them, encouraging people, training people, and it's, it's, it's messy. It happens all the time. Some people are busy being encouraged. Other people are being trained. Others are being dusted off because they weren't released properly. Others are being called out and everybody should be serving. If we can create that sort of environment, maybe the Nicholas and Tembus just happened by accident. I promise you, we did not take Nicholas and say, okay, we've got to put him through a system. We've got to get him into the system of serving and identifying and training and releasing and boom. But he's, but he's been baptized into an environment where some of that stuff happens. God believes in leadership. 